0: Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. We hope you're having a nice weekend. Later, Doctor Aaron Thompson, who oversees Kentucky's colleges and universities on things getting back to normal on those campuses and how higher education can play a key role in getting the economy and workplaces back on track. That's in just a bit, but first, BILLIONS OF DOLLARS IN RELIEF FUNDS ARE COMING TO KENTUCKY, SOME OF IT IS GOING STRAIGHT TO LOCAL GOVERNMENTS. BUT THERE ARE TIGHT STRINGS ATTACHED AND TOUGH RULES ABOUT HOW IT CAN BE SPENT. DESPITE WHAT MAY BE OUR DATED IMAGE OF uh, BEING RURAL IN KENTUCKY, MOST KENTUCKIANS ACTUALLY LIVE IN A CITY OR TOWN. AND THE KENTUCKY LEAGUE OF CITIES HELPS CITY HALLS AROUND THE STATE WITH A LARGE MENU OF RESOURCES. AND THIS WEEK, THE LEAGUE'S EXECUTIVE DIRECTOR AND CEO, J.D. CHENEY, TESTIFIED IN FRANKFORT ABOUT HOW THAT MONEY CAN BE be applied what challenges our cities are facing right now as well welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers JD Cheney good to see you good to see you Appreciate Bill it. thanks for having me so this money is flowing to local governments uh, how much trepidation uh, is there knowing the strings are attached on the part of uh, city
1: leaders and how many questions are they uh, throwing your way well it's it's turned into a full-time job now with this allocation. It's historic it's we're grateful uh, Congress uh, enacted the, the legislation that would would provide a direct appropriation to all 3,000 plus counties, all 19,000 cities, towns, and villages across the entire country. It's the first time anything like this has occurred, uh, but there are a lot of strings, and uh, and that guidance is uh, uh, evolving and will and will change as we go along over a three and a half year period, but. City Cities have uh, a lot of reluctance and a lot of questions because they want to be sure they spend it correctly because if they don't the federal government can claw it back, and so they they want some certainty so wh- when the it.
0: mayors call you what yeah. are,
1: what are the typical questions you know, can, can we spend it on the backhoe to dig the sewer lines, or does it have to be the sewer line? Uh, those types of questions can we do it to provide uh, incentive uh, an incentive payment? Uh, to, uh, to households uh, like a stimulus payment for out of the funds. We get a lot of questions like that and a lot of different ideas. As diverse as Kentucky cities are, there's a lot of diverse ideas about how to best spend it uh, for their communities. What
0: general guidance can you give those cities?
1: We, right now, we can use the guidance uh, that's been provided by the Treasury that, that really creates six major categories uh, to deal with the public health crisis which we're emerging from the pandemic. You wouldn't expect on a go forward basis that you would see as much expenditure in that category. Probably the most important one of the six major categories is a revenue replacement. Uh, They can do a calculation if if they've lost revenue, it's presumed that any reduction in revenue uh, that they experience over the next three or four years is gonna be as a result of the pandemic and they can capture that and apply that directly to governmental services uh, directly. And and then you don't have as many strings attached to it. And then the the water, sewer, uh, and broadband infrastructure uh, categories uh, will will probably be heavily heavily utilized. Is that
0: because of the more... Direct tie to health and safety, and and the way
1: we had to work our way through this uh, pandemic. That's right, and, and and most of those categories really tie to the mitigation of the effects of COVID, or or showing that there's been uh, personnel expense or uh, resources dedicated to to dealing with the public health emergency. Whereas the water, sewer, and broadband provisions don't have necessarily a tie a tie to the the pandemic directly. So
0: if a mayor calls and says we're thinking about a new ballpark uh, yeah. or this
1: or that, probably not, right? Probably not. I mean, we, we're, it's going to have to tie directly to t- tourism. Uh, the, the ballpark itself is going to have to relate to something to do with, with tourism, which took a big hit. I mean, you Louisville know, wanted pandemic.
0: to PUT uh, I THINK FIVE OR SIX MILLION DOLLARS INTO ADVERTISING FOR TOURISM, IS THAT GOING TO BE uh, ALLOWABLE?
1: TOURISM is one, of, IS ONE OF THE AREAS WHERE IT IS PERMISSIBLE. Uh, the, THE GUIDANCE FROM THE UNITED STATES DEPARTMENT OF TREASURY SPENDS AN EXTENSIVE AMOUNT OF TIME TALKING ABOUT THE him- IMPACT OF THE PANDEMIC ON THE HOSPITALITY AND, tour- and TOURISM INDUSTRY JUST IN KENTUCKY. We had a 71% decrease in the state's receipts on hospitality taxes. Likewise, the transient room tax. Likewise, that was experienced with local jurisdictions and local tourism uh, commissions that advance their state. And so, yeah, that's one of the categories that's acknowledged as a presumption that that was pandemic- impacted. If the cities are creative, uh, can they not offset uh,
0: their costs with this money and then go maybe allocate some of the other money towards some of the things they want?
1: They can. If they're if they're creative and if they haven't already cut their budget to the bone. And a lot of cities did that did those extensive budget cuts in anticipation of 35% or or 40% decreases in revenue early on in the in the pandemic so if they have an austere budget already that that uh, shell transference probably be a, a little be a little less likely but but yes I think that's fair to say. You go back a year, cities were afraid to have events. Uh, there was very little going on
0: uh, in America and across our towns here in Kentucky. Uh, are you impressed with the resilience that, uh, you know, it looks like here they come now uh, with uh, most of the events, the downtowns are beginning to uh, to thrive again, uh, which many were just before uh,
1: this all hit. We, uh, I, I said early on in the, in the, when the pandemic started that we would be the springboards for resiliency, and I think that's true. Uh, Kentucky cities are. They're, they're ready. They bring people together, uh, and they were chomping at the bit, even during the pandemic, to, to, to have their July 4th parades last year and, and the Apple festivals and the other uh, festivals and events that are so important for communities, and they're ready, they're ready to go. Uh, you, uh, within your organization, declared Juneteenth uh, a holiday after
0: the president signed it as a federal holiday uh, earlier this week. Uh, I know you
1: say that's important to your organization. Do you expect a lot of uh, cities uh, will follow suit? I do. We have, we have a lot of discussion. Uh, it's, it's important to a lot of my staff. It's important to all of our staff uh, to acknowledge that. But, but we're looked to by city government leaders, as uh as leading the way, modeling the way, setting the example, and i think uh I think several cities have asked uh, about doing that some cities already have uh acknowledged that like the city of Versailles, mayor TROCKETT uh has put that in in his personnel policy, so I suspect you'll see a lot of cities acknowledge that uh, importance of that day uh not only not only for african americans uh staffers and and citizens but also Uh, for all of us to sit back and reflect on that that point of history in our nation.
0: Uh, Policing has been such a big issue over the last year uh, in the country. Departments are reconsidering their policies and training, and uh, yet we see violent uh, crime trends continuing to be a a major problem, especially in the larger cities uh, here in Kentucky. How big are the challenges for local law enforcement out there?
1: It's the recruitment and retention has been has been a challenge, even even exacerbated by the by the pandemic. Uh, we have a lot of dedicated professionals. It's getting getting them trained through the Department of Criminal Justice training. We're working with them to to expedite the training. You see a lot of them taking deep dives during this pandemic into their policies. Of course, we worked hand in hand with the legislature on. Uh, two two major pieces of legislation. President Stivers on his uh, Senate Bill Four on dealing with the no-knock warrants. We didn't see a lot of utilization of that throughout uh, throughout the state. Most department chiefs will tell you they've never never issued, ne- never sought one. Uh, and we also worked with uh, with Senator Danny Carroll from Paducah on legislation that would make the Kentucky Law Enforcement Council uh, hold be able to hold. Uh, uh, police officers more accountable by revoking their certification if they participate in certain egregious acts. If they're a bad officer and do certain things in one city, they shouldn't be able to travel down the road to the next county and continue to be behind that badge. Just like I can lose my law license or a doctor can lose their medical license, we want that same oversight and licensure capability with the KLEC. About a minute
0: left here. You uh, uh, went before the legislature and testified about the money that the city governments are getting, although you THEY HAVE NO
1: CONTROL OVER THE CITY MONEY, RIGHT? THAT'S RIGHT. IT GOES STRAIGHT state, TO THE LOCAL GOVERNMENT. IT'S A DIRECT CONGRESSIONAL APPROPRIATION. And
0: BUT YOU WANT TO COOPERATE WITH THEM BECAUSE YOU WILL BE BACK APPARENTLY WITH SOME PRIORITIES uh, FOR THE SESSION UPCOMING. WE what, DO. WHAT ARE A COUPLE OF THOSE?
1: WE DO. The, YOU KNOW, THE MAJOR POINT on, this, ON THE ARPA FUNDING IS THAT IT'S NOT A PANACEA. It doesn't, IT DOESN'T ADDRESS A LOT OF THE SYSTEMIC ISSUES THAT WE'VE TALKED ABOUT FOR YEARS uh, WITH REGARD TO THEIR TAX STRUCTURE. Uh, our need for transportation infrastructure. You notice when I listed the ARPA expenditures, transportation infrastructure wasn't one of them, water, sewer, broadband. We've got to look at the funding of our transportation system, our infrastructure uh, beyond just water, sewer, and broadband, as well as looking systemically at the the tax structure for local governments in Kentucky. So we'll continue to talk about consumption-based uh, taxation, sales tax issues, and amendment of the of the Kentucky Constitution, and we do have to work, and we should work collaboratively, because tax policy from the state needs to flow with, with local government tax policy. J.D.
0: Cheney, as always, from the Kentucky League of Cities, thanks for coming. We Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Bill. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Aaron Thompson. We'll talk about higher education, the challenges out there. Kentucky Newsmakers continues. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. If the question is economic success, is the answer college? Kentucky's colleges and universities found ways to innovate and keep going. Even as COVID-19 shut down many businesses and organizations around the country. Now most of the campuses are focusing on returning to a new normal in the fall. What role can higher education play in getting our workforce matched to all the jobs out there right now? And how do schools move forward in a controversial time and balance free speech with concerns of some ideas being stymied? Dr. Aaron Thompson seems to have lived his life preparing for this moment in time. He grew up poor in Appalachia, became a sociology professor and a speaker around the country and now oversees Kentucky's colleges and universities. Oh, and there was a college presidency or two in there as well along the way. Dr. Thompson, welcome. We appreciate you uh, very much uh, for speaking
2: with us. Thank you, Bill. It's Good to be with you as always, my friend. You
0: know, it appears uh, uh, to us that most campuses are announcing their plans to go back to a, a, a pre-COVID normal in the fall. Is, is that where things are?
2: Yeah, we are going back. We're, uh, you know, we're going to go back with the idea that there's no such thing anymore as normal. Uh, We are looking at truly Bill, what we learned over this COVID period, this pandemic period, how to be more innovative than we were before the pre COVID. So we are going back in the quote unquote normal sense face to face in a very similar sort of capacity we had before COVID, but we're going to go back thinking that we're going to do business a little bit different than we did before COVID.
0: A lot of things were learned uh, along the way, right?
2: Absolutely. And I told uh, some of our folks the other day, talking with them, I said, we didn't wait to get through COVID to think about innovation. We were innovating on the spot. I mean, it really produced that sort of need. And obviously, higher education needed to do that for a variety of reasons. Uh, But we were looking at innovation as we were going through COVID, and now we're implementing those and looking at more innovation.
0: Most of our uh, colleges and universities uh, are opting not to require COVID vaccinations, but are apparently going to strongly recommend them. Do you expect uh, that will be the stance uh, as as we approach the, the opening of the school year?
2: It will be the stance for our public colleges and universities. We're not going to require, uh, we're going to uh, strongly recommend, and as you know, the governor has a push on for these scholarships to help them to strongly uh, think about getting it before coming back. But yes, I mean, we still, I mean, during COVID, obviously we're focused on uh, academic health of our students, but also on the physical health. We're gonna still do that. We're still gonna keep our eye on COVID and other sorts of infectious disease, as well as other things. But yes, we, we are hoping more and more people have the vaccine before they get to our campuses, but we're not going to require. It.
0: You know, we mentioned uh, those uh, changes that were made on the fly basically just to protect people. Uh, how much of that stays or are students and, and, uh, and the faculties uh, eager to get the campuses back to face-to-face uh, learning? I mean, that, that is essentially in the long run better, right? In
2: the, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to remember that good college is about engagement, whether it's online or face to face. We will, though. I mean, we learned some lessons here. We we will uh, make sure that we have temperature checks at times. We will make sure that we have things in place just in case. Right? If we look and see as if someone could have COVID, we'll still do the isolation. We'll still get them the assistance that they need to finish their work. So. Although we won't have all of those gatekeeping items in place as we did during COVID, we are going to know that COVID hasn't gone away forever, uh, but it's here and lingering in some fashion. So we'll still be focused on making sure we keep our students and faculty and staff safe.
0: All right, Dr. Thompson, how are the enrollment numbers looking for the, the year ahead right now?
2: You know last year uh going into the fall we actually did pretty good we were really down at our community and technical college uh, campuses and our private campuses were up a little bit but our publics were only barely down so overall about four or five percent down last year uh we looked as if we were going to be really down coming in this year fafsa applications are down still about 11%, but they were down up close to 30%. And so we worked really hard because that's an indicator whether many of our students who need aid to go to college, whether or not they're thinking about going to college. We're, we're looking down, we don't know exactly how much, the FAFSA application is saying 11%, but there's also a lot of people still waiting uh just to see exactly if they feel safe enough to come back to campus Mm -hmm. we're we're saying yes we kept you safe last year we surely will this year so uh, it's it's looking a little down but we're hoping to catch up you
0: you know academics at at every level have been uh, disrupted so much Uh, do you have concerns about uh, some students uh, uh, you know having their plans their, their their life goals sort of disrupted by covid are the campuses Uh, going to be on track to provide the kind of uh, emotional support and in some cases catch-up that some of these students may need going forward?
2: Uh, The answer is yes to the latter part, and I'll give you a little more detail in a second. You know What I'm afraid of is in Kentucky we had about a 50.5 college-going rate from those graduating from high school before COVID. That is really going to affect exactly how we build our workforce. So I'm worried about that's going to be even lower this year. So there are many people not fully making plans to go to one of our community and technical colleges or four-year campuses before this will affect. I will tell you, though, we really beefed up our mental health, our emotional health, and our academic assistance during COVID, and we are going to double down on that this fall. So we'll be even more prepared in all those areas than we were
0: KCTCS announced a no tuition increase for next year. Yes. Uh, college affordability, obviously a very hot topic right now. Uh, there are uh, all kinds of proposals uh, uh, to bring it down, but I know that you at the, uh, the council are really trying to sit on these, uh, these tuition rates, right?
2: We are, as you all remember, Bill, when I came into this office, one of my big four items was affordability many of our students and parents and families feel is that they can't afford to go to college. Many can't afford to go to college or finish. And I will tell you, I'm happy to say that most of our campuses now have a promise program, a last dollar in, but we also decided that we're gonna keep tuition low. So for the last many years I've been in this position, it's been historic low tuitions every year. So for the next two years, uh, another two, uh, historic low uh, about an average of 1.5% per year, which is way below the 2.5% inflation rate. But KCTCS and and it looks like KSU may be coming in at zero. And many others like Murray at a 0.9. So, and our UK 1%. So we are looking truly at making sure that our parents and families, students, adult learners, all feel as if they can afford to go to one of our public universities. and. Colleges.
0: The state has a, a, a surplus that uh, you know looks to be it's going to be a north of a half a billion dollars and if things stay on track that could happen again next year. Is now the time uh, to advocate among these uh, universities and, and in your position uh, really for reinvesting in higher education at a time when uh, uh, funding is way down from where it was say a, a decade ago and when public universities had a lot of uh, uh, taxpayer support in Kentucky?
2: Well, it was time a long time ago, by the way, but I do, I want to appreciate the governor and the legislature for giving us a, a budget increase this year, first time in 13 years. And, and we are celebrating that. it was the 2% that went to our performance funding plot, as well as helping some of our campuses with the pension. Bill, the most direct correlation that you have with a strong economy is gonna be a strong higher ed system. The most direct correlation to an educated workforce is a higher ed system that's strong. So this is a strategic investment. If you look at the people that were on unemployment during COVID, around 90% or so did not have a higher ed credential. The argument is that this has to be an ongoing, sustainable investment in our state and in our people. This is not just something that you fund like you do everything else, this is truly an item that gets you about a 60% return on investment and goes to the sustainable economy that we argue that we have to have to actually move this poverty rate to a place where we can manage it for the long time. I, yes, I, my hope is that this is the beginning of an ongoing sustainable way of thinking about how we had, as that investment for the state.
0: You mentioned the workforce. Uh, you know, we see the attempts to hire out there right now. Our colleges and universities uh, doing a good job of matching the degrees and programs that they are offering uh, to the jobs that may be available out there.
2: Uh, more than ever, uh, we we have a new tool that you're going to be seeing fairly soon. Where we're rolling out, showing students, here's your major. If you decide to go with it, here's the jobs that are out there. Here's how much money you're going to make here's how much money that people are borrowing or using to get that major, here are the colleges that are having it. So we're being more transparent than we've ever been, but we're also working with employers on the front end and saying, how do we actually build programs for 10 years down the road and not for 10 years ago? This is the conversation, this is one of my four priorities too, as you all know, is to really focus on bringing our employers and with our higher ed on the front end to think about how we build what we need to build in this state for an educated workforce and economy. So absolutely, yep. more than ever, we're having those conversations. I look
0: forward to seeing that, tool. Well, I'm sure the, the students will as well uh, to, to know uh, uh, kind of where they stand as they plan. Uh, all right, before I let you go, let me put uh, have you put your sociology uh, cap on just uh, uh, for okay. a moment. It, and, it stays I, on all the time. I, I know, and, and, <laughs> and that, that's my point with a question. What a time, you know, as, uh, as, yeah. uh, as uh, schools are trying to balance right now uh, these tough conversations that are out there in society and that are uh, on their campuses, uh, you know, and how do they balance the freedom of expression uh, and, and the tough topics and, and you know, the, the, the feelings of, uh, of everyone who may be a, a stakeholder?
2: You know, it's important to understand higher education is where higher learning happens. Higher education is a place where you challenge thoughts, ideas, beliefs in order to create a deeper understanding of what yours are. It's not about changing beliefs. It's about really the dialogue of people that are different than you and learning from them in order to understand exactly if your beliefs are based on fact, fiction, or opinion, or whatever. This is about higher learning. It's about deeper learning. Our diversity policy, for an example, talks clearly about diversity of thought, as well as of people. So it's not about hushing people. It is about expanding minds and boundaries. We've been closing gaps, Bill, This state in higher ed fairly fast for the last two or three years, only because we've got a system set up to where we are looking at bringing everybody up and not leaving some people behind. To do that, you have to have the right curriculum. You have to have the right pedagogy. You have to have the right ideas about what it means to create that next intelligent, civic-minded citizen that's gonna take us to the next level to maybe solve another pandemic or come up with a vaccine. So for me, it's not about getting distracted about conversations that doesn't take us where we need to go. It is about bringing everybody though, no matter where you're from, no matter what background you have, what your ideas are, what your beliefs are, ideologies are, and bringing them into a space where we can actually collectively figure out how to learn from one another to make that happen. My goal in higher education as a whole, as a sociologist, and as the president of of, higher ed in Kentucky, is to talk about how do we come together in a way that develops that student to become much greater than what we ever thought about ourselves becoming.
0: Dr. Thompson, as always, thank you very much. We appreciate you being with us.
2: Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful day.
0: You as well, and stay with us. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. As you know, there were some important rulings this week, and in the next few weeks, the U.S. Supreme Court is set to rule on more than 20 pending cases. The nation is expecting several landmark decisions. Right now, the issue of voting rights is taking center stage. Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, has details.
3: Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. A wave of new voting laws hitting the states. Some say they are restrictive, inhibiting people's ability to vote. Others say they're simply making sure it is one vote for one person. Now, in two weeks or less, the U.S. Supreme Court is expected to rule on a major voting rights case. Brnovich versus Democratic National Committee focuses on two Arizona state laws. One, blocks officials from counting provisional ballots cast in the wrong precinct. The other, bans so-called ballot harvesting. It says only a family member or caregiver can deliver another person's early ballot. Opponents of the law say many minority voters in Arizona lack easy access to a mailbox, that less than 20% of Native American voters in that state have access to home mail delivery, and in some rural areas, people have to drive hours just to get to a postal box. These voters rely on friends and volunteers gathering ballots and delivering them to polling stations. Critics insist, The law is voter suppression, is about race, and violates the Voting Rights Act of 1965. People who support the Arizona state law says it is not about race. They say the law secures elections and protects against voter fraud. Expect a ruling before the end of the month when the court closes its term. Want more full court press? Tune in Sunday. We bring politics home covering the national stories that impact you.
0: Remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. By the way, happy Father's Day to the dads out there today. And that's Kentucky Newsmakers. I'll see you this week on WKYT News and certainly hope you make it a good week ahead.